All right. Well, welcome to the first Sunday of 2020. It's exciting. It's exciting to be the beginning of the first Sunday of the year, the first Sunday of uh, the new year and a new decade. And it's always, it's always kind of fun, I think, new things to be part of something new and be part of the, the initial stages of it. So I'm excited for today's message, not just because it's a new decade, but uh, because there's just a message that's been stirring on my heart for the last couple months. So I'm excited to begin the new year, just kind of sharing with you a little bit of the vision that I have for us as a community as we enter into this year. And to share a bit, a little bit about the two words that I believe that God's really put on my heart that I want to be a big part of the theme of Lake Effect Church this year. You see the two words connect and tell. Through the year we're going to be talking a lot about those two words and what those words mean to me as an individual and what I think God wants that to be woven into the fabric of this community as we begin this new year. You know, I also want to read a scripture this morning, one of the first scriptures that we read that I also believe will help set the tone for what I believe that God is calling us to do this year. I'm going to read Acts 1 verse 8, and I think it's a powerful verse that I want us to read today, but also to help set the tone for what I believe that the God is calling us to do in this new year. See, the Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, that he did not immediately ascend to heaven. Instead, he spent 40 days on this earth with his disciples and other people. He spent that 40 days encouraging people, teaching people. And I think it was very strategic that he spent those 40 days on earth. I think if all God wanted, if all Jesus wanted was was a relationship with each of us, after he rose from the dead, he would have found his followers and said, okay, let's ascend and go to heaven. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus' plan is after you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't just immediately zap and go to heaven. You stay on earth for a while. Because God has a very strategic plan for each and every one of us. God has a plan for each of us. And his plan is that we would become storytellers. That we would become storytellers of the good news. That we would become storytellers of God's work of redemption in our life that we would become storytellers of God's plan of salvation. So God leaves us here on earth so we would be his storytellers. And one of the most powerful verses in the Bible is Acts 1, verse 8. And these are Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. And he is with his disciples and he said to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are the last words that Jesus said to his followers. And I want us to focus on these last words of Jesus this year, that we would be his witnesses. And I think if we're honest, when we say you will be my witnesses, some of us get a little nervous. You're talking evangelism. You're talking about sharing the gospel. Gets us a little nervous. How am I going to do that? I don't know if I'm able to do that. I don't know if I'm skilled to do that. I don't know if I have the ability to do that. I think sometime we read this scripture wrong. You notice what the scripture says. It says, and you will be my witness. It doesn't say you will go and do evangelism. It doesn't say you will go and do it. It says, no, you are going to be a witness. It says the story of Jesus Christ is going to so transform your life that you will become a witness. That's God's plan for every follower. Is that by the power of his Holy Spirit, 
and by the power of your story of redemption and restoration that you become somebody that you never thought you were. You become a witness. And as a community of followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to become that authentic witness that he has called us to be. That we will become the storytellers this year. That we will become witnesses. And see, what I love about this verse, I love about the fact it says you will be a witness. It's not saying you're going to go do a witness. You're going to be a witness. There's a big difference between doing and being. Being refers to your identity. It refers to the transformation that God does in your life so you become someone that you never thought possible. See, what I love about this fact is being a witness, the pressure's not on you. The pressure's not on you to do something. The pressure's on God. The pressure's on God's story of redemption to transform you. The pressure's on the Holy Spirit to give you power. If you think this year I could never be a witness, you're right. You couldn't. Let's just settle that. But your story of redemption and the power of the Holy Spirit coming together is going to make you become somebody you never thought you could be. And as we enter into this new year, I think it's important that we focus on God's instructions to us to be a witness and to see how he changes us over this year. So I'm excited for these two words that we are going to connect and we are going to tell. See, this connect works in three different ways. We don't just connect to God. We also connect to other people, and we connect to ourselves because we all have a story to tell, a story of redemption and wholeness, and that is what we get to do. That's what Christ designed us to do, be storytellers of the story of redemption in our own life, and that's what we're going to focus on this year. That's a big topic. Two little words have a lot of meaning, and that's what we're going to explore this year, and I'm excited to do that. I think it's going to be a good year, and I think it's going to be a fun year. See, last week in our uh, last service, last Sunday, we're our last message of the year, and I talked, I raised the question about what is next. That's a typical question that we think about at the end of the year. What's next? What's coming next year? All of us kind of wonder that right now. What's this new year going to be like? What's this new decade going to be like? And if we're honest, we all have a set of plans. We all have several, several hopes and dreams and aspirations what 2020 could be like. We have ideas of what we would like to see happen in our life. And we also have ideas of things that we would like to see stop happening in our life. We all enter a new year with kind of the idea of these good things can happen and maybe some bad things can stop happening in my life. And then on the other hand, we have God's plans for our lives. We all wonder, what does the plans that God has for my life going to look like in 2020? And as again, we hope and we dream and we have expectations of what we would like God to do. And we know different promises in the Bible that we read that we think, man, it'd be really good timing if these things happened in my life right now. And so here we are struggling between God's plans for my life and my plans for my life. And if we're really honest, I think some of us would struggle a little bit with God's plans for our life. And we might even think, well, I don't know if I really want to follow God's plans for my life in this new year. Because I think sometimes when we think about God's plans for our life, we sometimes think that could be a little boring. Or we could think, well, maybe that's going to be a little too restrictive. Or we might think that might be a little bit too hard. 
And so suddenly, we find ourselves in a collision between these two different positions, the position of God's plans for my life and the plans that I have for my life. And suddenly, we're in the midst of the storm about what do we want to see happen in our lives, God's plans or my plans for my life. And it's hard to admit that sometimes we even struggle with that. We think as good followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want to admit that we struggle with God's plans for our lives. We want to say, of course I want God's plans for my life. But sometimes we secretly have a doubt inside of us that says, are God's plans really going to be good for me in this new decade? And we struggle with that. We struggle to reconcile those feelings of who are we going to follow because as believers, we know that we all should say that God's plans are the best plans for my life. We know that we should say that God's plans for my life are to prosper me. And God's plans for my life is exactly what I want to see happening. We know that we should say that God has specific plans for me that he had even before the foundations of the world were laid. And we know that we should be saying all those things. But do we really believe it? Because if we really believe that God had the best plans for me in 2020, I don't think we would struggle with trying to follow God. But yet here, sometimes we find ourselves in this tension. So why do we have this tension? Why do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, struggle with our plans and God's plans? And I think one of the biggest reasons that we struggle is because becoming a Christian does not mean that we are exempt from hardships and challenges. That becoming a Christian does not give us a pass or an exemption from hard things happening in our life. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't like that. That makes us uncomfortable because we all want to avoid hardships. We all want to avoid challenges. But the fact of the matter is we are going to struggle with the same sicknesses, the same financial challenges, the same griefs, the same hardships, the same employment issues. We'll struggle with accidents and obstacles like everybody else in the world. And that is hard because we all want to avoid hardships. We all want to follow challenges and we all want to figure out a way that we can avoid discomfort. We want to find comfort. We want to find security. And often in our quest to find that security and to avoid risk and to avoid hard things happening in our life, we forget the fact that God has us on a plan. That he wants us to understand that he is our ultimate source of satisfaction. We fail to see sometimes that the plan or the journey that God has us on is designed to make, make us wholly devoted followers of him. That it is a designed plan so we find all of our security and all of our strength and our hope in him. But that's hard. It's hard for us to kind of give up some things in our life to find our satisfaction in God. But see, this is the good part of what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to be completely satisfied with all that Christ has to offer. And this is what's really good. We're not going to have to pretend that we're content. But we will become content as we realize that Christ is everything that we need. But see, what happens to us sometimes is that in our quest to find comfort, we kind of build a whole little idea in our head of how we can have a secure life. 
We know that we want to follow God. We know that we want to find freedom. We know we want to pursue God and read our Bible. But we sometimes, without even knowing or without even intentionally doing it, we create our own plan for how our life is going to be. It sounds good. It looks good. It looks pretty righteous. But really, it's our own plan. And what it boils down to is all of our good intentions can turn out to be nothing but a bad idea. They may actually sabotage the plans that God has for our life. See, our well-crafted plans could actually separate us from God's plans. And that should make us curious. That we could craft a plan, we could come up with a plan that would actually move us further away from God, what God wants to do in our life. See, God has a plan for our life in 2020, and we want to follow that. And we need to make sure that we are going to be pursuing God this year and laying down our own plans. We need to lay down our control. Sometimes we so want to avoid hard things. We so want to make an easier way. We want to control our life to protect us. That sounds like a big ask. But see, on the other side of it is God's plans to say, I have everything that you need. I'm going to satisfy you completely, but we're going to have to take some risks this year. I want to read uh, parts of Roman 8 for us as we, uh, before I enter into my message. In Romans 8, I'm going to start with verse 18. It says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is eagerly waiting for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present moment. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long with our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something, we don't we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmonies with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his sons. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Probably every one of us could recite Romans uh, 8, verse 28 by memory. And we know that all things God causes, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. 
I think a lot of us know that verse. We find comfort in that verse, and we find encouragement in that verse. And we're discouraged. We often reflect back on that verse to give us strength and to give us hope. And we read that verse when things are hard or things are difficult or we have some the sickness or an illness come or we hear of an untimely death or we have job problems. We go back to this verse and we find comfort in it. When you have faith to believe this verse, it can be very powerful for you. This verse can get you through a lot of uncertainty. And this verse is a gift to get us through any challenges that we might face in our life. But see, part of us desperately wants this verse to say that nothing bad or challenging will ever happen in our life. See, a lot of us have a lot of memories of pain or discomfort, and we kind of would like this verse to say nothing else bad will happen to you. But that God's going to cause everything to work together so you can be void of pain or discomfort. We have to go back to the beginning of this section of Scripture that I read to get a little bit more context of what verse 28 is talking about. In Romans 17 through 18, it says, But if we are to share in God's glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, in these two verses, Paul is giving us the news that we want to avoid, that our life can be difficult, and the difficulty can be actually intentional, that you will have some suffering now. It's very nice that heaven's coming. We look forward to heaven coming. But what do we do now while we wait? That is a hard thing that Romans 8 is addressing. What do we do in this interim period? See, the point of Romans 8, 28 is that while we wait, we have this assurance from God that he is working everything together for our good. This is part of the comfort that God wants us to receive from him, that he is working every little detail in our lives together for our good. See, that phrase that says all things actually means all things. That it means every single thing that is happening in your life that God is going to weave it together for your good. And that's good news because we do live in a world that's broken. And we live in a world that's uncertain, and there's nothing certain about 2020. There's nothing certain about what's coming this year, but we have the confidence to know that no matter what happens, that God can work it together for good. Now, we all quote Romans 8, 28, that all things are going to work together for good, and we like that. But I think the real power is in the next verse. It's in verse 29. You really have to understand verse 29 to understand what verse 28 is all about. In verse 29, it says, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, this is why all things are working together for good in your life. For one reason, that you become like Christ. Everything is working together in our life so that we become like Christ. That means every difficulty you're facing will help you be like Christ. That every good thing you're dealing with will be, make you become like Christ. Even the mistakes that you made that were not part of God's plan for your life, God can even use those things to make you become more like Christ. See, God's not working everything together so we avoid challenges in our life. But God's working all things together so we become like his son. So we become his witnesses. 
See, in Revelations 1, verse 5, it says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. If we are going to become the witnesses that Christ has called us to become, we need to become like Christ. Because when we become like Christ, we understand that we are completely dependent on God for everything. And we also understand that God is the only one who can meet all of my needs. Christ never went looking other places to find his needs met. He knew he had to go to the Father. And that's part of God's intention through us living in this broken world, in this broken society, is that we learn that nothing else is going to satisfy any of my needs. But I can go to God and he's going to be faithful. And as we become the faithful witness of God, we will become a reflection of God. And then with the power of the Holy Spirit, we become that faithful witness. And see, this is the good news, that if you are a Christian, you are part of the group of people that loves God and have been called according to his purposes. That is who you are, and that is who you become. And that is what God wants most for each of us, is that we become like his son and we become his witness. And that's God's goal, to help us have that same desire this year. Because when I become like his son, when I become like Jesus, I don't lose my identity. I don't use, lose the unique thumbprint that God has created me to be. I don't become less of me. I actually become more of me. I become the person who God created me to be all along. And that's exciting. Some people think that following Jesus is too restrictive. You don't get to do the stuff you want to do. No. God makes you become the person that he created you to be long ago. See, we are all designed and created to live in perfect relationship with God and ourselves and others. Every one of us was designed to live in the Garden of Eden. But we know from Scripture that because of sin entered, we are separated from Eden. And because it was sin, we are separated from Eden, but we're also separated from each other and we're separated from God. And in many ways, we're separated from our own selves. And suddenly we find ourselves living in this broken world that all of our relationships around us are broken. And so often we learn that in order to protect ourselves, in order to survive in this traumatic world, we are going to kind of try to have to create our own garden. We try desperately to create this own garden that we can live in that will protect us and will insulate us from hard and challenging things. I think Dan Allender says it best. He says, by trying to protect ourselves in the midst of harm and cut ourselves off from future harm, we create a false Eden in which our hearts are hardened to both the reality of our trauma and the hope of our restoration. The defensive struggles we turn to, often marked by vows, disassociation, addictions, and sabotage, further bind us to our trauma and separate us from the, good, from the true goodness and delight of living in a relationship with ourselves and with others. We all, none of us have escaped from harm or difficult situations in our life. None of us are immune to being affected by hard and challenging things. Every one of us has a story of challenges and obstacles. Every one of us has a story of trauma or a story of things that happened that were very unfortunate. And all through Scripture, God makes us this invitation to come to Him with our brokenness and our weariness and our troubles, 
and our difficulties. He invites us to come to him with our stories because he wants our stories to work together for the good so we can become like his son. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Christ's invitation to all of us, that we would come to him with those hard things in our life, with those difficult things in our life, with those challenges in our life, that we would come to him with those, that we would connect our story to him, See, we're going to all have to learn how to create, connect our stories with God in a real powerful way this year to find some resolutions. And that sounds kind of tricky. Some of you might say, yeah, I, you, you say that. Bring your troubles to God. Bring them to God. Lay them down at the altar. We say stuff like that. And some of you might feel like, yeah, I've done that, but I, I, I still have them. How do you give these things to God? Something we want to talk about this year is we're exploring how to connect with God. So we learn how to take those things that we are carrying that are heavy and that are difficult and a burden and lay them at Christ so he carries them for us. We're going to learn more about that this year. Because I think everybody wrestles with this first. You're like, yeah, I've done that. I've tried that. Doesn't work too good. I give them, he gives them back. We got to learn how does that work. We're going to have to be vulnerable this year. And it's risky to sit down with God and sit down with him and say, this is what my heavy burden is. All through scripture, God talks about inviting us to sit at a table with him. To sit at a table with him is a metaphor that's used over and over in the scriptures. He invites us to sit at a table and to give him our burdens. That's risky. That's risky to sit down at a table and give God your burdens and tell him about your story. Because I think some of us have a lot of fears. If we were actually sitting across from Jesus, what would he say to us? Would he be annoyed at me? Would he be annoyed and say, well, you got yourself in that trouble. What would you do that for? I think we worry about stuff like that. We worry, would God want to connect with me or would he be mad at me? Or do I have to get everything together so I can sit down at a table and give this presentation that I have it all figured out? And then will God say, okay, I like you now. We struggle with that. We struggle with what is God going to be like when I come to him? We can have these two ideas going on. We have what's going in our head and what's going on in our heart. And one way we know God. Yeah, God is loving. He's caring, compassionate. But then we struggle. But what if he's annoyed at me? We struggle with that. I like what John Bloom says about this verse. He says, when Jesus said, come to me, he meant believe in who I claim to be and therefore what I am able to do for you. And here's where our burdened soul are tested. Will we believe in him? Will we trust him? We want to rest our souls on the knowledge of how and when our burdensome problems will be addressed. But Jesus doesn't provide all those details. He simply promises that they will be addressed. Oh, that's such a struggle we deal with. We know God invites us to the table, but we don't know how he's going to address our 
challenges that we lay at his feet. We so want to guarantee before we do that. We're like, God, I'll give you my burdens, but this is how I want it resolved. And that's a struggle that we're going to face and we're going to wrestle with, and it's so risky because you have to be honest and you have to be vulnerable and you have to be willing to sit and you have to be willing to spend time with Christ and pour out your heart to him. And is he really going to care if you do that? We wrestle with those thoughts. And so, so often we talk about connecting and telling, connecting with God and telling God our story. And it can make us a little anxious. It can make us anxious to do that because sometimes we have beliefs in our head and beliefs in our heart that are different and God wants to reconcile those. So we can come to him with that confidence that we can lay things on the table and trust that in his perfect timing, in his perfect will, he will resolve what we bring to him. That's going to take some faith and some courage this year. But that's part of what I believe God wants to stir up in us as a community, that we would have the confidence that we can bring him our story and he can bring resolution to us. See, we read the Bible and we know that the Bible is all story after story after story. I think some people say 70% of the Bible is simply a story. It's story after story about how different people related to God and how God related to people. So we have a lot of stories to tell. And we each have a story. But our story isn't going to help anybody else unless it is filtered through the redemptive message of Jesus Christ. We all have a story that we need to sit down with Jesus so he can bring redemption out of a story. So he can bring a testimony out of your life. And when our story connects us to God, it is going to be used to connect other people to God. That is how we become a witness. When God takes our story and makes it a story of redemption and a story of restoration and a story of wholeness, and we have that story that will connect us to other people and help them to find wholeness in Christ. But in order for that to happen, we're going to have to tell ourselves our own story. So that seems kind of strange that you're going to have to tell yourself your own story. But see, this is what can happen to many of us. We kind of ignore our own story. We ignore the story of our life. We can actually experience something really painful or traumatic or really difficult in our life, and we can actually ignore the influence that it has on our life. This is why Christ invited us to take our heavy burdens to him, because he knows if we don't take them to him, we'll ignore them. And we all know what happens when you ignore hard and painful and difficult things in your life. It's going to influence you in a way that you never anticipated. See, if we want our pain and our hurt to work together for good, we're going to have to bring it to Christ and let him filter it through a story of redemption. See, earlier this week, Becky said to me something that was very profound, and I have her permission to say this. (laughs) She said she didn't even know her own story very well. Now, that seems strange to me. How would you not even know your own story? You've lived it. Did you just forget? See, Becky's been asked to be on the next uh, Women's Weekend for Day Cloris, and she's going to give a talk. And part of giving a talk, you give the outline of the talk, but you also share part of your own story. You share, share some of your own journey. 
in your own life. You share your story of redemption. You share your story of restoration. And Becky said as she was preparing her talk and looking over her life, I thought it'd be easier telling her story than mine. I thought I'd avoid crying, but it's backfired on me. So I better get a drink. <laughs> Becky said as she was preparing her story to talk about her story and her testimony of what God has done in her life, she said she started to look at different painful things in her life that had happened. And Becky did classically what a lot of us do. A hard thing happens in our life when we say, all right, just put it on a shelf. Another hard thing happens in our life, just put that on the shelf. Another traumatic thing happens in our life, and we say, well, God's going to work all things together for good, so I can just put it on the shelf. He'll take care of it. And what happens to a lot of people? Is one day you wake up, and you have shelf after shelf of trauma. And difficulty. And burdens. And you're sitting going, I didn't deal with a lot of this stuff in my life. I thought I did. I thought I was being the good Christian and just saying, oh well, God will work that out. But suddenly you're looking at your shelf and going, there's a lot of boxes. See, in order to connect our story to God, we got to understand our own story. Sometimes we have to take some of the painful things that are in boxes on the shelves of our life and say, I'm going to bring those to Christ. I'm going to sit at the table with Christ and he invites me to unpack this box of my weariness and my heavy burden. That's what we get to do this year. Some of us have boxes on shelves. It's our invitation to connect with God, to connect with our story so we can filter it through God's story of redemption. That's what we get to do this year. But also part of connecting is connecting to other people. We need to find some people who have emptied their shelves of boxes. And we can tell them about the boxes that we have on our shelves. And they can help us. Sometimes in our, in our, our, in our, in our quest to protect ourselves, we say, all I need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus and I'll be okay. And that sounds so good. And it sounds so right, and it is truthful, but also God created you to need some other people to sit down with you and to help sort through the boxes of your own life. And we get to do that too. We get to help some other people unpack their boxes. Sometimes when you unpack yours and you can help somebody else, say, hey, I'll help you get those boxes off the shelf, and let's unpack those. And let's take the story of our life and the trauma of our life and the hurt of our life and the pain in our life and the discomfort of our life and let's take that out and put it on the table and process that with Jesus. And let him make all things work together for good. 
Let him heal us of these burdens that we carry so we can connect to our own story and that our story can connect to the redemptive message of Jesus Christ. And when we have our story resolved and we see the redemption in it, then we can start sharing our story to other people. And our story will suddenly be used to connect other people to Christ. And suddenly we become a witness. We didn't try to do that. It happened. As we saw the love of God work in our life. And to clean out these boxes, we become that witness we want to be. So I love one of my favorite authors is Jay Stringer, and he has he, he, in his book, Unwanted, he talks about, he says, every one of us is, is on a stage of redemption. That every one of us is on a stage in our life that's going to play out our story of redemption. That God has designed a stage of redemption for you and I to see resolution to hurts and pains and difficult things in our life. On this stage, we will see our redemption, we will see our restoration, and that we will see our salvation. God has a stage for each person where he wants to play this out for you. But the stage is not just about me, it's not just about you, it's about the one who came to seek and to save the lost. That's what this stage is about. The stage is about the one who came to bring you freedom. The stage is about the one who sacrificed his own son. So there could be a stage. See, our story is the one who built the stage, who designed the stage, and orchestrated everything to happen for our good so we could have redemption and wholeness. See, the stage is about the creator and about the director. It's about the one who created the good news for us so that we could find wholeness and freedom and salvation. God calls each of us to tell other people about this stage of redemption. That's his invitation to each of us in Acts 1 verse 8, that we will receive power and we will be his witness. He tells, other, tells us to tell others about our story. It always surprises me. Why would God call me to tell other people his stories? Because that's when I say, well, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't think I'm qualified. And I don't think I'm restored enough. But God says, no, I want you to be my witness, and I want you to be my witness, and I want you to be my witness. And we're like, why? Why don't you find somebody else? See, I think God has way more confidence in his story of redemption than we do. And I think in this year, as we pursue this connecting and tell, God wants us to have so much more confidence in this story of redemption that we just tell people what God has done for us because we become so confident. Because we know it works so well. But some of us struggle, does it really work that well? And I think until we get some of our boxes down, unpack some of this hurt and pain and difficult things, we're not going to experience the fullness of knowing what it is to be a witness. See, in 2020, we're going to spend a lot of time on the stage of redemption. We're going to talk about a lot, that a lot this year. The stage of the redemption that God has called us to be on, to see our life played out, but also to see us sharing the gospel with other people. But see, this is what's really good news about the stage of redemption. We're not going to be actors. 
We're not going to be actors on this stage, people that are wearing masks and pretending to be someone that we're not. You get to be you. I get to be me. I get to be the person that God created and designed for me to be thousands of years ago. And that's really good news because all of us get tired of trying to be someone that we're not. All of us get tired of having to wear a mask or pretend something different. We get to be ourselves on this stage. Fully known and fully loved. And that's going to bring us a lot of comfort this year. When we get to be who we were created to be, we find joy and happiness and security, and suddenly we realize that the one who created me is the only one who can satisfy me. We find our satisfaction, and that's why I'm excited for this year. Because we are going to connect to God, we're going to connect to ourselves, we're going to connect with others, and we're simply going to be telling a lot of stories this year. And it's going to be a good year. We get to be who we are created to be. And that's encouraging. So let's close and pray. God, I thank you for your story of redemption. God, I thank you that story is your heartbeat. And I thank you for Jesus who came to reveal who you are. And I thank you for Jesus who came to be on this stage of redemption in our life so that we could become redeemed. God, I thank you for what you have in store for us in 2020. I thank you, God, that um, even though it sounds fun, Lord, that it's always it's something new. God, I pray that you'd birth in each of us, Lord, this new confidence and excitement to be a witness. That the topic of being a witness would be like, wow, that's exciting. That's what I get to do. This isn't what I have to do. This is what I get to do. God, that is an honor that you say, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to take your story and I want your story to be redeemed that you can tell somebody else that story and you can see salvation come to their house. That's what we get to do. Thank you, God. God, stir in each of us, Lord, this excitement to be on this stage. God, I thank you for the people that are going to be impacted by our stories. For the people that will be impacted by our testimonies. The people that will be impacted by the redemption that we have had in our own lives. Lord, I pray for a lot of multiplication this year for your glory. God, I pray for a lot of people to come to know you as their Lord and Savior this year. And God, I pray for anybody in here today that when I talk about boxes on a shelf, that they recognize I'm talking to them. And it can be overwhelming to think about boxes of hurt and pain and trauma and difficulties.
can seem stressful to even think about taking something like that off the shelf and unpacking that and sitting at a table with you. But Lord, there's no coincidence that we are studying Psalm 23 this year that you are the good shepherd. That's no coincidence. That you're the good shepherd who wants to lead your sheep. That you're so faithful and so kind and so gentle. God, thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you're leading this all. Thank you that we get to be your sheep. God, I thank you for what you're going to do this year. I thank you that our lives will be transformed, that this church will be transformed, that this community will be transformed, that our families will be transformed by the power of your gospel. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're going to do this year. And thank you that we get to be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.